host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. RL, what's going on, man? Chilling. Not a lot. I love it. That's the vibe we need uh, for this yeah. Friday mailbag, first one of 2024. It's going to be a good time. It always is. Uh, looking forward to this one. We got some good questions in the Discord channel, which we're going to use today. Uh, if you want to get involved in future editions of the mailbag, which we do every Friday, uh, pretty much once a month, it feels like with with RL, where we just take a variety of topics and have some fun with it, uh, join the server. So the invite link is in the show notes. Get in there, have some fun with us, and be involved in future editions. All right, RL, here's the first question. Let's see how many we can get through today. I feel like we usually do like five or six. Hopefully we can do that, if not more. Reese asks, would love to see what the numbers you like to look at say about Val Nichushkin. He was on a monster goal-scoring pace in a small sample before a significant injury last season and has really ramped up his scoring of late again. Anything in particular pointing to why he's scoring so much? Uh, yeah, he plays with Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon is having an insane season. I mean... There is obviously other stuff involved, but like if you look at it, who did he play with a lot last year? It was Comfer and and McKinnon, right? And then this year it's McKinnon and Rantanen are his most common line mates, if I'm remembering my research right. And uh, two years before that, it was Kadri and Rantanen. And I would say Nathan McKinnon, as much as I like Nazem Kadri, is a, a significant upgrade offensively over Nazem Kadri. And again, other factors at play, but uh, making one of the most offensively gifted players in the league, uh, your most one of your most regular line mates, is going to help you score more goals. Yeah, that's generally a pretty good strategy for uh, for scoring goals. So as Reese pointed out last year, he started it with seven goals in his first seven games, and then he got hurt, missed six weeks, and he finished with seventeen and fifty three games. This year, he's already up to twenty two in forty games, and this kind of ties into your point of sharing the ice with Nathan McKinnon and being on, the, being on the receiving end of that. But I think the biggest difference for him and part of this offensive glow up is the power play usage, right? Last year, yeah, of course. he plays like three and a half minutes per game on the power play, which was nearly double uh, his previous career high. This year, he's up to four power play minutes per game. He's on that top unit and he plays that net front role in particular, right? And you watch that game against Vegas on, on TNT the other night. And he scores two of them by basically just standing in front of the net and being on the receiving end of Nico Rantanen's brilliant passes from behind the net. And so it's a pretty good spot for him to be in. Um, 10 of his 17 goals were on the power play last year, already 13 and 22. And to put that in perspective, uh, only Sam Reinhardt has scored more power play goals. He's one behind St. Louis as a team and two behind Philadelphia and Washington all by himself. So... <laughs> That rocks. And the thing that I like about this and the kind of the reason why I picked this is generally we we talk about McCarr and McKinnon and Rantanen when we talk abs, right? We don't necessarily talk that much about Nachushkin, although when they won the cup, we certainly highlighted him as, as a big reason why. But I just love this sort of, I don't know if it's a dichotomy or how you want to describe it, but like in the defensive zone and in the neutral zone, he's one of the coolest players because his motor never stops like he's massive and has this crazy reach but he never stops moving and he chases pucks down and disrupts and destroys all your plans that you have offensively yourself right he wins all these battles and stuff and then he gets into the offensive zone and he gets rewarded for it by basically being the ultimate garbage man like he just stands yeah, in front of the net and just, just taps tap in. in yeah yeah 
he's 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 living that that home from lifestyle right and so that's um, right that rocks because it's like it's kind of being rewarded for it you know you see that in the nba where it's like if your big guy defends and shot blocks and runs the floor you want to reward him with some alley-oops and get him some easy easy dunks and stuff right and that's kind of what they're doing with him here where it's like you do all this hard work and all this unglamorous stuff that's really important for possession and which we really value and so we're going to reward you by you scoring 40 goals this season and i think that's pretty cool yep yeah awesome i guess my two other notes that i had on this before we get to another question is the usage for these guys is absolutely insane right now he is nichushkin is playing 21 48 per game which has him fourth amongst all forwards First is Ranton, second is McKinnon, and then third is Kucherov. <laughs> yeah. But in the past 20 games, those three guys on the Avs are playing 24-27, 23-58, 23-54. And that was sort of highlighted most with that game against Boston where all these guys played essentially 30 minutes and they just played right. their five best players every other shift. And on the one hand, that's really fun to watch right now. On the other hand, a lot of these guys do have extended injury histories and a lot of miles on them already over the past couple seasons and so if i were an abs fan or in that front office or even jared bender i'm sure you know coaches generally just want to win every single night and that's all they think about but i would be pretty concerned kind of trying to balance that long-term view and enjoying how much this rocks right now seeing those guys play that much and produce this way with also being like all right can we actually win a stanley cup again doing this now when they get lekkanen back and there was positive news about Landis Cog this week as well, and I'm sure they'll make another trade before the deadline. So there will be reinforcements coming, but getting to that point is going to be a bit of an uphill climb for these guys. Yeah, it's like a few years ago when, I don't know, in the first like month or two of the season, like McDavid and Dreisaitl were playing 27 minutes a night for Edmonton. And it's like, yeah, th- I mean, this can work. You you put those guys out, and a lot of the, that's obviously power play time or whatever. But is it a viable long-term solution? I think the the Oilers kind of found we got we had to throttle it back, you know, like that. You just can't ask a guy, even you know, guys as as dazzlingly talented and and like you said earlier, like a lot of motor on these guys and a lot of motivation to win. There's only so many minutes you can play in an NHL game, is basically what it boils down to. Especially if you're if you're a forward who's being asked to play the full 200 feet. Yeah, so, and all these guys, like the common theme, I guess maybe ranting a little bit less so much to a people chagrin sometimes, but they all play such a physically demanding style as well. Like if I just think of right. McKinnon and Makar and, and Nichushkin in particular, like they're just go, go, go all the time with that motor. One thing to mm-hmm. keep in mind here is when Lekkonen comes back, and hopefully that'll be soon, him and Nichushkin have had quite a bit of success playing together at 5 5 and if the Avs can yep. go McKinnon, Ranton in line one, Nichushkin, Lekin in line two is kind of like this just defensive buzzsaw. And then with the way um, Ross Colton and, and Logan O'Connor have played as a th- sort of third line for them, all of a sudden you've got yep. three units there that I'd expect to be in sort of the mid-50s almost in terms of uh, five-on-five shares with that power play. Like all of a sudden, that's that's a different story then and you've got some really nice balance there. But um, that's kind of assuming, I guess, that Lekkonen comes back and then in the meantime, everyone else stays healthy as well under this type of usage. Is that it on, on Etrushkin and the Avs? Don't move on to the next yeah, one? I'm yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flower for heart. 
says, with the signing of Willie Nylander, what do you think will happen with Jake Gensel and the Penguins? If the Penguins are clearly out of a playoff spot, will he be traded? How much return will the Penguins get for him? And how much is Gensel going to get paid next year? So obviously a lot to unpack here. I think the reason Willie Nylander is brought up here beyond the fact that I think with the Kyle Dubas connection, maybe if he had gone into the open market, the Penguins would have been a potential suitor, is that you look at the UFA class now ahead of next summer and beyond Gensel and I guess Sam Reinhardt, who's obviously having a monster season himself, a number of actually very close to re-signing, by the way. It was a report I saw yesterday. So, And I imagine that number is going to shock a lot of people, or maybe not, depending on what you think is coming. But like, I think it's going to be a lot lower than you'd probably think based on the fact that he already has 30 goals this season for a variety of reasons. Um, like, he'll get paid nicely, right. but I think it'll be less than you might assume. Um, the number of impact guys available in the open market is, is pretty minimal, right? And so... Yep. Jake Gensel is sitting in a nice spot there to to be really be rewarded and get ca- and cash in. I'll give you the floor here. You can start this from any number of ways. You could start it from the Penguin side of things in terms of how they approach this, or you can talk about Gensel himself. Yeah. So well, I, I guess I do want to talk about the Penguins because the the thing the thing that the, the question asker said was like clearly out of the playoffs, and I wonder what clearly out of the playoffs would mean to the Penguins, right? Because right now I'm looking at it. They're two points out with three games in hand on uh, the Lightning. And now they would have to jump, uh, you know, New Jersey and and Tampa to do that, to to make the playoffs. But I just, I just don't see a world where they're going to drop to, say, the Buffalo Sabres level where they're like six or seven or eight points out, right? Like, it just... The way the East is this year and, and the, you know, the lingering quality on their roster, let's say, um, kind of puts them in a position where I think, I think that they would just not sell at all. Right. Like I, that's, that's my initial, uh, my initial thought. And especially because, you know, they have Sidney Crosby on the team. We got, we got to try to win for Sidney Crosby and all this kind of stuff. He's having a great, uh, Crosby's having a great year and. You know, the Penguins have problems, but they're not going to crash and burn, I don't think. So that's number one. Number two is, I wonder about Gensel just because he, unlike like Nylander, for example, he's a little on the older side than Nylander is, right? Mm -hmm. So, and this is the other thing, is I don't know that the, 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 lineup of teams that would be interested in Jake Gensel. I don't know how big it is just because we don't really know what he looks like at all away from Sidney Crosby, right? Like how many games has he played not on Sidney Crosby's line in the last five years? It's got to be pretty low. And so I, I I think that too would, would limit his, um, his bargaining power, if you want to put it that way. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, somebody gives him like eight, seven and a half, eight, something like that. But I don't know. I don't know how, how confident you can be, I guess, that um, that he's going to that he's going to like cash in, you know? Well, I feel confident that he is a very good player in his own right. Sure. And yeah. I the reason why I bring that up though is is you're right. Like we it's he's been so attached to Crosby and I think in particular his skill set is sort of 
like a force multiplier for Crosby as well because he's so smart and like knows where to go and and then has all the timing down and sort of sees the game the same way Crosby does and that's why they've been so successful together. So I'm sure he'd be productive with a lesser center. But if he's going somewhere and that drop off is to a player who's like maybe a bit more um, puck dominant or like trying to do it all himself and is still good and productive but just plays differently than Crosby, I think maybe his reality would look a lot different and he'd just be less productive because those skill sets wouldn't mesh. So I think I'd be careful about right. that. The Penguins' point is interesting because Dom has them at 81% playoff probability right now. And I think that's in large right. part like the state of the Metro, you sort of hinted at it there, but beyond the Rangers and now the Hurricanes who have come on and, and at 51 points in 41 games, like the teams ahead of them are the Flyers with 48 and 41. And I think they're pretty good and they've obviously been a, a good story so far this season, but wouldn't necessarily frighten you. The Islanders who have a negative goal differential and have 10 loser points this season, and then the Capitals are ahead of them still. And they have a minus 25 goal differential this season. Right? right. And so it's like the, the, the just the way these teams are stacked together. And then you've got the Penguins and the Devils. There's going to be a lot of jockeying there. But in terms of clearly being out of it, it's tough to see that being the case. As long as there's even like a 50% chance, I imagine they would push, maybe not beat buyers this deadline, but like right. try, try sure. to go for it. And, and that's kind of what happened last year, right? Obviously... It was a disaster deciding that their one win now move was adding Michael Granlin instead of pretty much doing anything else. Um, but they were sort of in a similar spot where they were kind of on the fringe and obviously it didn't work out. So there's that. Um, you mentioned with Gensel, he turns 30 before he's going to play his first game next season. And the reason why I thought this question was interesting is because like, he got a little bit of a later start to his NHL career, right? He, he played college he sure did, and yeah. then he played in the AHL. He didn't really debut until he was 22. And it feels like the dynamics of this conversation are changing so much where I think a lot of star players are clearly going to make a concerted effort to push to get to UFA status as early as possible with the way they mm-hmm. structure their contracts, right? And so this used to be, I think, more of a regular phenomenon where you would get Productive players who are 28, 29, 30, 31 years old hitting UFA and then cashing in big time, getting long-term contracts and then fading and declining and the teams would be disappointed. And now these players, it feels like, are getting these UFA deals years younger where you feel a bit safer giving them that term. And so I was trying to think of like comps or, or recent contracts we've seen that we could use to figure out sort of what Gensel would be worth. And there's been very few players of this caliber at this age who have come up for UFA contracts in the past couple of years. Yeah, no, for sure. And the thing that you don't want to do, I would say, if you're if you're a team, even if you're just the Penguins trying to re-sign him, is to look at his past, you know, three or four years of production or whatever, and go, well, this guy scores at like a forty goal per eighty two rate. And, you know, he's roughly on pace to do that again, right? Like, it's pretty automatic uh, for him in in a lot of ways. But also, you know, now now you're asking him to do it at 30 and Crosby's going to be, what, 37, 38? Like, you cannot talk yourself into we're buying a 40-goal scorer here 
or we're retaining a 40 goal scorer if you're the Penguins. You have to kind of temper that a little bit. And like, of course, Gensel's going to want to cash in as much as he possibly can. I, I don't remember his cap hit off the top of my head, but it's not crazy. Well, it's six it's million. Like six. Yep. It's yeah. It's flat. And that makes him the 82nd highest paid forward this year. Right. And he has deserved more than that. I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and again, if you want to do the thing of like, and he should give, you know, he should be making $7 million, but then giving that extra 1 million to Sidney Crosby for making him a 40 goal scorer. I'm with you. That's fine. You know, but, um, he's been underpaid for a really long time. So he's going to want to make up the difference, I guess you would say, but I don't, I just don't know how many buyers there would be at the, you know, it's, it's the, obviously he's a better player than Elias Lindholm, uh, you know, production wise over, over the last several years. Um, but it's the Elias Lindholm thing where you're like, he wants how much? And then you look at what he's made the last, however many years and for, for being a 40 goal guy. And you're like, Oh, I guess it makes sense that he would want to, you know, get as much as possible on what is probably going to be his last notable contract. Right. It will be almost certainly and while playing yeah. with, Sidney Crosby has obviously been very lucrative for him and must be just an awesome experience. Like it's, it's pretty cool for him to, when he ends his career, be like, oh yeah, I got to play for the majority of my prime with Sidney Crosby. That rocked. Like that's a, that's a story. I'll tell cool. my grandchildren that was very cool. It's not like this is one of those situations generally in, in these, in these sort of conversations where like, well, do you just go to a bad team that'll pay you the maximum amount and cash in? Or do you stay with a contender and try to win a Stanley Cup? Mm-hmm. It's not like he's that's necessarily what's happening here. Like if he stays in Pittsburgh, like they're obviously, I think, going to be better over the next couple of seasons than if he went to a really bad team that just had a ton of cap space and wanted to just pay him 110 cents on the dollar. But it's not like staying in Pittsburgh necessarily is like, all right, I'm going to be competing for a Stanley Cup. Like we just talked about how they're on the playoff fringe and have quite a bit of work to do just to make it this season. So... Uh, that is one thing, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if I was advising him, I would say, uh, explore your options and get paid as much as you can. Cause this is the last time it's gonna, it's gonna happen. So get as much as you can, but it's a well, well, uh, well-timed situation for him because the market is pretty thin around him and he is eighth in the league in five on five goals and sixth in the league in five on five points this season. So he's playing very well as well. I guess w- one final thing on this and then we'll move on. From the Penguins' perspective, though, like they have Jeff Carter's money coming off the books this summer, right? Three point one two five. There's going to be a four million dollars or so increase on the cap, so they'll have some money to work with. But beyond and and Kyle Dubas will certainly like we've seen him. He's very fluent in 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 uh in pursuing the trade market and trying to improve his team that way. But with Gensel making six million now and wherever he makes on his next deal. I have a tough time envisioning a scenario where they're able to, for that money, replace him and be better for it, right? So if like- Totally. Absolutely. Like, we don't want to pay him and we're going to let him go, but you still have Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin, and Chris Letang, and Eric Carlson on your team, and you're, and you're in win-now mode. How do you balance that, and how do you still not take a massive step back? Like, what's the alternative, I guess, if you're the Penguins? Yeah, I think I think it would be really finding- Maybe not an Eric Carlson level trade where it's like, whoa, they went up and got that guy. But, you know, someone that you're very confident 
is gonna is gonna be able to get you maybe not forty goals, but like thirty plus, and then you know you spend the money on another defenseman or something like a you know an undervalued defenseman or whatever you want to say. I don't know, like like you say, I, I think the the best course of action for all involved is kind of just re-sign Jake Gensel. You know, if you're if you're freeing up that money and, and the cap's going up. You you don't really have to worry about giving him an extra million and a half dollars or whatever the number is, and you go and you of course still get to play with your friend Sidney Crosby from before, you know. Yes, and as as uh, as our pal Greg Wyshynski says, his bags are already there. So that's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we go to break, let's uh, let's bring back uh, RL's NCAA corner here, which we uh, which we okay. do every time I have you on. And this seems like a, a good one from a timing perspective. So my question for you is how good is Cutter Goji? He is hmm. he is one of the better goal scoring threats that I've seen in college hockey in several years at a minimum. Like he's just a guy where he comes over the boards for his normal shift. And you're like, well, surely he's going to score on this. You know what I mean? Like he just, he scores about a, a little less than a goal a game. He's got 13 and 17, uh, right now. And he's, you know, he's not a, he, he's not one of these older players. He's 19 years old or whatever. Plus he doesn't get and, with that, with that line, right? With, with Smith pro. Nope. And I mean, I, I mean, they spent some time together on the power play, but not as much as you might think they're, they're not, I, I would say BC doesn't do as much loading up the power play as as they probably could and probably will, you know, come playoff time or whatever. But he plays with two guys who are like, you know, your classic. Oh, he's like he was like a twenty year old freshman, and he's pretty good, but he's not like an unbelievable college hockey player or anything like that. And his ability, I mean, I I, I use this analogy kind of a lot, but like. When he shoots the puck, it is like he teleports it into the net. Like you, it's just gone, you know. And you look, and the red lights on, and you're like, "Oh, okay, I guess that happened again." Um, there has been he's a, he's a center in college, but obviously there's been some uh, discussion, I guess you would say, about does that translate to the NHL where he's a center? I I, I, I that's a thing that I'm not good about uh, knowing that kind of thing with. Uh, with scouting or whatever, I can just tell you I've never not never, but it's rare that I see a more dangerous, um, a more dangerous shooter in mm-hmm. college hockey at, at a, at a bare minimum, which is obviously a very valuable skill set. It's interesting you brought that up though. Cause, um, I think initially there was a lot of belief that he would be a center and mm-hmm. more recently you're hearing a lot of sort of buzz or chatter in the community that people think he is going to be a winger. And obviously, you know, I don't really want to get into uh, like the speculation of, of what happened or the reasoning in terms of why the trade happened and all that stuff. Just thinking about it from a non-ice perspective, though, that would have been a bit of an issue for the Flyers, I think, because obviously in an ideal world, I think they would have just loved to just have Cutter Gochi on their team in the future and still part of the organization. Sure. But pretty much all of their mid-20s talent is on the wing. And their best prospect in Madbin Mishkov is also a winger. Whereas now going to Anaheim, I think that conversation of what he's going to be 
doesn't matter at all because they have Leo Carlson and Mason McTavish. So he'll almost certainly play on right. the wing regardless. And so I guess for, for your for your and I's sake, we don't have to waste time speculating what he's going to be in terms of center or wing because he'll just be on the wing because they have those two guys. And so um, the Ducks are in an interesting spot there. I'm on the note of the Ducks, just to kind of tie all this together because we just talked about Jake Ensel. I want to see them get aggressive this summer. Oh, like, yeah, they have to. And here's the thing. So no, they don't really have anything to do this summer. Like they have to figure out Jackson Lacombe's next contract or whatever. They have only $50 million in cap commitments right now for next season. And mm-hmm. pretty much they have two years until they have to pay Carlson and Minchikov, right? And Zegris if he's still on the team. But they'll have Fowler and Gudas coming off the books. I know we talked about this last summer and they kind of half-assed it a little bit because they just brought in yep. Alex Kalorn and overpaid him, but they did it for longer term that I would have liked. Like, I want to see them give Jake Gensel a two-year, $24 million contract. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just go pay him. Absolutely just, nuts. Give him 125 cents on the dollar. Just give him everything you could possibly ask for and be like, oh, in two years, you'll, you'll still get another contract. Like, you'll still be 32. You'll still be productive. And bring in a guy who will actually help some of these young players and utilize that. Like, I guess it's a tough sell for your owner to be like, we're just going to pay this guy $12 million next season or whatever it costs. Um, but if you could get right. that sign off, I would love to see them be really aggro going that route as opposed to sort of this like, you know, trying to haphazard or trying to like get a, a veteran guy who will help and overpaying him to do so, but not actually a guy who makes that big of a difference. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, as you said earlier, there are just so few impact players hitting the free agent market. And obviously the Ducks have, have the have the war chest, I guess you would say, t- to um, to maybe get a little creative in trades. But that, t- I guess my only, my only concern is the Ducks' whole thing the last few years has been, oh, no, we can spend a bunch of money on a guy we think is going to be an impact, impact player. And then it's like John Klingberg. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I could see, you know, even beyond the owner not wanting to give one player $12 million or whatever. Um, I, I can see them being a little gun shy about that sort of thing, just because it's a big ask, like it's a big ask to, to say, Hey, uh, you know, we, we, we've gone over basically on our big free agent, uh, additions the last few years, but, uh, you know, let, let's try it again and see what happens. I'm always just so enamored by the by the possibility of a team like that has such a defined one or two or three year window where they don't have any big incoming expenses, but they mm-hmm. they almost certainly will in two or three years using that right. window and spending all that money on a guy who can help in the meantime in a in a, in a legitimate way, right? And so we rarely see it in the NHL, but uh, it's dare to dream i guess my one final note on yep. on this while we were talking about uh cutter is um just watching the world juniors i i'm not the first to say this but i'm i'm so excited to watch ryan leonard in the nhl i just yeah he's a fun player he is gonna absolutely annoy the living daylights out of everyone and it's gonna be awesome the idea of him and tom wilson on the same team is is pretty hilarious yeah yeah, okay. no, the, the, all, all three kids on that line are so cool. Yeah. 
yeah, that was a that was a pretty good team. All right, RL, let's uh let's take our break here and then when we come back, we will finish up this week's listener mailbag. You are listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDOcast, Ryan Lambert doing our Friday mailbag. Uh let's let's do this one next. So Yuri, who is a uh, the moderator on the PDOcast Discord, so I obviously have to take his question uh, because he's doing such a great job. Kings fan asks, what's wrong with the LA Kings? Now, the last time I had you on, I think we did a whole thing about how we thought the Kings were the best team in the league. And since then, <laughs> things have yeah. gone south a little bit, certainly. Now, I'm not really, despite the results, worried about it, but they are 0-3-4 in their last seven games, so technically a seven game losing streak although four points in it um does sound a little bit better what's wrong with the kings how worried should we be and sort of what are you seeing from them right now um well what's wrong is actually pretty simple to nail down it's it's not that hard at all um the offense is just completely dried up mm. uh well not completely but you know what i mean uh i think if you look at expected goals uh in all situations there was only uh, three times it got north of three in the last seven games. And uh, before that, I think they'd only had like four or five games where it was uh, south of three the entire season. So, you know, I, I think if you're if you're looking for what the answer is, that's the answer. Well, 14, so in that seven game stretch, 14 goals scored combined, right? So two per game, that's obviously yep. not very good. Now their defensive system and structure and all that is still elite. And so that's going to keep them in a yep. lot of these games. And six of these seven losses are by one goal. So, um, you know, that's important. Like this stuff, a lot of coin flips that are just not going their way right now. And that's why I say not to worry. But the, the one thing I did want to note, and it's interesting you bring up the expected goals because I believe natural statrix still has them fourth on the season in terms of most expected goals generated on a permanent basis sport logic has them down at 13th for the season and i guess my one concern about this team that's been the true for a while now um and still lingers a little bit in the back of my mind and this is only purely when you're comparing them to like that truly elite tier of best teams in the league and you have to really nitpick is they made such a concerted effort of bringing in Fiala and Dubois with this sort of eye on having different ways to score, being a bit more dynamic, being able to get into the middle of the ice and and create that way in the playoffs, right? And I just still think they're sort of middle of the pack in terms of like offensive creativity and ability to actually do that. And a lot of these numbers absolutely bear that out. Like they're 18th in slot shots, 15th in inner slot shots, they're 18th on the power play. Like that's middle of the pack. Now, when you're a top two, three defensive team, that's going to win you a lot of games in the regular season. But when you get into the playoffs and you have to play either Vegas or Edmonton, it's going to be tough to create goals for them. And I think that concern has carried over from the past couple of seasons. And I still haven't necessarily seen enough to truly make me feel like that's just a thing of the past. Yeah, and especially because Dubois had such a kind of miserable season for them, like offensively at least. Um, he was supposed to be much better than this, and he's certainly getting paid to be much better than this, and it, it just hasn't worked, and maybe that's 
you know, coming to a new team, getting new line mates, all that kind of thing. That might, but it's not. It's not like Pierre Luc Dubois is not is unfamiliar with the concept of moving around the NHL. You know, so to me, I mean, you know, I I look at this team and I don't see a lot of like game breaking offensive talent. But I think that a guy like Kevin Fiala could certainly, you know, get hot at the right time and and a and lot so of the could problems we're talking about. Well, for sure. But I, I'm saying I, I just I'm looking at it right here. Kevin Fiala shooting nine point seven percent this year. That feels very low for him. Mm-hmm. And um you know, if if they can get one or two guys going that little extra step, um, a lot of the stuff we're talking about right now. Like because of their defensive structure and and quality, you know, throughout the lineup, I think that the margins they're losing by six of the last seven by one goal, as you as you point out, you know, if they can get one extra guy going, all all these problems we're talking about go away, or not go away, but certainly are less uh, notable. Let's say. No, I, I, I agree with that. And I guess what makes it extra frustrating on the Dubois front is you watch the Jets right now, and we're not going to talk about them here today, but like Blurred, he's establishing himself as one of the best net front guys in the league, and he's just always open to finish off plays around the net. And it's like, man, I thought that's what we were getting here. This is That, that kind of sucks. We had that guy, and that's kind of yeah. what they need right now. So um, that is obviously frustrating. Now, the reason why I thought this question was interesting and why I would be a little bit concerned beyond some of those lingering offensive questions is, in the meantime, the Canucks are building this gap between themselves and everyone else in the Pacific, right? They're up to 59 points in 42 games. LA is at 48 and 38. Vegas is in 53 and 42. And as this progresses and continues, unless something drastically changes, the likelihood of a round one matchup for LA with either Edmonton for the third straight year or Vegas is right. becoming increasingly likely. And that would concern me. That's like the one thing where they still obviously have a lot of runway here with 40 plus games to figure out their own play and, and put themselves in a better position. But the idea that you're just going to have to do that all over again against one of those teams is is pretty alarming for, for, for someone who has been really high on the Kings this year as the way you and I have, right? So that's obviously not an ideal um, landing spot, I guess, for them to start the playoffs. And so that's becoming increasingly likely with this kid, where at the start of the year, it looked like they might be the number one seed in the Pacific and, and get a potentially easier wildcard matchup. But um, yeah, that would be that would be pretty tough against either of those two teams. Yeah, and that that's just the, the quirk of the NHL's uh, playoff format, right? Where you can say the same thing about Toronto the last however many years where it's like, yeah, uh, in the first round every year they have to play Florida, Tampa, or Boston. Have a good one out there. You know, like, it's just that it's tough. That's the way it is. But, you know, I, I think honestly, if things continue down the path they're on right now for the next little while here, LA is maybe feeling more like a wild card team than anything because, like, it's funny, like Edmonton has won, I think, 17 of their last 20 games. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's like, no, they're still three points back of the Kings. Like, And you're like, oh, are, are, surely the Kings have been on a similarly strong streak. And they're like, no, they're two, four, and four in their last four. Actually, they, they've kind of been bad. 
Yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, where I, I fully expect, uh, speaking of teams that aren't playing particularly well, Vegas is seven, three and seven in the last 10. Yep. So like, I fully expect like, maybe not this level of performance from Edmonton where they're getting 85% of their points, uh, for the rest of the year, but like, they don't have as much of a gap to make up as you might think, you know? So, uh, if I'm the Kings, I'm looking and I'm saying, oh no, do I have to play like Winnipeg or Vancouver in the first round? You know, like, yeah, okay. I'm avoiding Vegas and, and Edmonton, but instead I have to play the two hottest teams in the league. Basically there's no, there's no good answer. Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, it's going to be a grind, but they've certainly, I guess, uh, decrease their margin for error since the start of the season. Okay. Yager's yeah. Flow asks, are there any good players having very, very good seasons that are totally under the radar? Now, I guess uh, what your radar is is going to vary by person, but let's try to let's try to pick someone who is genu- genuinely not really talked about a lot. Is there anyone? Yeah. It's mine. I've got two names that I thought of. Okay, hit me with your first one. Okay. Do you think this is too on the radar, Robert Thomas? You know, I just haven't I just haven't seen anyone have a, a St. Louis Blues conversation, I guess, other than their coach being fired this season. And and the Jordan Kyrie thing right. followed. But Yeah, I mean, so I guess I was just saying this on Puck Soup the other day. I'm a big Robert Thomas head. Like, I'm like, oh, that guy's really good. Like, he doesn't get talked about enough for how good he is. Um, And so to me, I'm always just like, what's what's my old buddy Robert Thomas up to? Let's check it out, you know? Mm. And um, and like Kairu, obviously, he scores more goals of the, of the two of them, I think you would say. So he he gets a little bit of attention. But like, to your point, Robert Thomas is, is on my radar pretty much 24-7. He's just one of my guys, so... Yeah, and obviously, it's not like, oh, this is out of nowhere, right? Because he's obviously been very productive and he's been on our minds for a while now. I just think that because of the season the Blues have had and, and everything, like, they're just not, they don't get brought up nearly as much as some of the other no, teams. For sure. uh, but you look up, and I think part of it is, I mentioned that stat earlier, how Val Natrushkin has one less power play goal than the Blues as a team. So I think part of that is the reason why it's suppressing some of this stuff. But then you look and it's like, all right, he's top 10 in 5-1-5 points. With him on the ice at 5-1-5, the Blues are up 31-17. to When he's off, they're getting just absolutely destroyed, 73-47. to I think that's one of the biggest splits of anyone in the league. And I'm sure. You mentioned that Kairou is the goal scorer. Well, Robert Thomas has 16 goals already this year, which uh, his previous career high was 20. And he needs 39 shot attempts in his final 42 games to set a new career high. And so I feel pretty confident that he's going to get there. So he's kind of added a new wrinkle yeah. to his game in terms of actually just looking for a shot and, and embracing that a bit more. And I I guess my one final point on that is like, he's in year one of that mega extension, the matching ones that him and Kyrie signed. And mm-hmm. so I think this is a massive development for the Blues, regardless of what happens for them this season, because last year was such a disappointment and the play tailed off a little bit in terms of production. And you were like, oh man, what's going to happen here with these guys? And all right, well, Robert Thomas at 24 years old, if he's going to be producing this way, I feel very good about that deal moving forward. And so at least that's kind of something to uh, to hang on to for hope moving forward. Yeah. Um, a guy that I want to say is under the radar, and I, you know, maybe, maybe you also uh, had this, but um, 
Brandon Hagel is like a kind of sneaky selkie guy, and I haven't. Lo- I guess I haven't looked at the Lightning's uh, scoring uh, leaders lately, but I feel like he's pretty high up on that list for them as well. Let me pull it up right here. Uh, yeah, he he is fifth on the Lightning in points, and he's like kind of a sneaky selkie guy uh, to me. And uh, if you go by uh, Evolving Hockey's war stat, he is currently. 15th in the league in in uh in defensive war but that's including all defensemen so there are only a couple of forwards ahead of him and he is 11th in the league overall in terms of uh in terms of war right now it's really good that's and, you know another sorry go ahead no 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 i uh, sorry what, what were you going to say please finish that thought just another one of those like sneaky great pickups by the lightning you know his, his cap hits 1.5 million and he's one of the one of the best all-around players in the league probably you might say so no he is awesome uh, yeah i'm a big fan at the start of the year i had him on a on our guys list uh, i did a show with thomas Drance and uh and we came up with the nickname the philosopher for him after uh the german philosopher hegel and so uh yeah, he is sure. certainly um he's brought it this year in fact that game against the kings to just tie it together First, the goal to set into overtime, where he just like barrels his way to the net and wins multiple battles to mm-hmm. get it in, and then yeah. in overtime, just bully balling Pierre Luc Dubois all over the ice and keeping possession and eventually getting it over to uh, I believe it was Perbix for the winner, and it was just like this monster performance where he essentially individually decided like yeah we're not losing this game tonight and so that was awesome. Have a so good I'm one, yeah. I'm with you. That's uh that's a pretty good quality for any player. Here's the other guy that I had. I didn't have him on my list, but that's a good shout by you. Can I just do a little Casey Middle stat? Yeah, so I I I guess I follow enough Sabres fans that I'm like, oh, he's having a really good seat. Like yeah. yeah. A guy again, a guy that you just wouldn't think, oh, I, I should look up how Casey Middle stat's doing. But everybody that I follow from Buffalo is just like, you would not believe how good this kid has been this year. Well, I think he's so. been the best Sabres player. And unfortunately, that's kind of undoubtedly, yeah. That says a lot about their season as well. Unfortunately, as much as it does about him, yeah. Because I don't think heading into the season that was the hope. Um, but to his credit, he's been really good. He's similar to my uh, Robert Thomas, twenty-seven five and five points, tied for ninth post, on pace for nearly seventy points. And the reason why I wanted to highlight him is because Buffalo all of a sudden faces this interesting decision where he's got the one RFA year left, right? And then he'll be like he's going to be twenty-six next year. And they have to decide essentially whether he's part of their future and they're going to pay him for this season and keep him long-term or whether they're going to try to cash in at this deadline and trade him. And I can already sort of see this dilemma for them. And I'm sure that the Sabres have been talking about this internally for a while. And I know that their fans have as well online, but it's like, it must be so frustrating just seeing time and time again, this organization trade these good players who then go on to different situations and thrive, right? Whether it's on a team level and and winning a Stanley Cup or whether it is all of a sudden getting more recognition for their play and scoring a bunch and and all that and just watching that from afar and being like, oh man, it's happening again. Or whether you want to pick up the tab on this and pay him and then deal with that moving forward considering all the other future commitments you're going to have as well for this team. So it's going to be a pretty tricky one, I guess, for them to decide um, as soon as this trade deadline, because I think they're going to want to figure that out before heading into the summer. For sure, yeah. 
No, he he's having he's having a really nice season. I know there's a big push locally to get him into the All Star game. Um, I think they're announcing the twelve extra guys tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it's just um, it's it's just really interesting that he's he's having such a good year, but like not in a contract year, right? Like you expect the guy to go nuts in a contract year. It happens all the time. But he's doing it kind of like you said a year before and out of nowhere almost. Like, would you going into the season? Would you have said he's like a top five most important player on the on the Sabers? You know, probably not. So, well, he was kind of quietly good at, as last year went along, but definitely a, like a sort of post hype sleeper, right? Like, yeah, obviously correct. So hyped yep. as a prospect, especially after that World Juniors and that disappointing start to his career, but has really turned it around since then. And I think. For a team like the Jets, for example, um, who I think will want to, if, if this keeps going and they really solidify themselves atop the NHL standings, are going to make a push to sort of reward that group and, and kind of go all in this season. He'd be such an interesting name for them because he still has the RFA rights, so you can sort of control that and it's not just a rental. But also, I think they need more center talent. And, you know, Shifley got injured last night, but even beyond that, it's like, do you really want to be just relying on a core of Adam Lowry and Vlad Nemestikov as your next guys up down the middle? All of a sudden you add middle stat right. and this idea of like you put, maybe you put him and Connor on this kind of like sheltered scoring line and, and he's just passing the puck to Kyle Connor. Like that seems pretty fun. And so um, sure. I'm I'm very intrigued in, in the potential of that. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about that between now and the trade deadline. But um, yeah, middle stat's having an awesome year and that's a that's a fun fit. So, okay. Is uh, you, you had, Hagel was your guy? You didn't have anyone else? I, I guess I can hit you with one more, yeah. um, w- which is, uh, you know, I feel like goalies don't often get talked about in terms of, well, like, whoa, you can't, you kind of can't believe how good this guy is um, it, or how much he's affecting the team. It's kind of taken for granted that, you know, if you're, if you're um, an elite level goalie, everybody's like, well, yeah, sure. He, he's supposed to do that. And if you got, you're a guy that kind of comes out of nowhere People are like, okay, sure, but it's not going to last or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk, you know, we mentioned it earlier about like, oh, the, the Capitals are kind of around the playoffs and they're making it harder for for all these teams in the Eastern Conference um, uh, kind of unexpectedly. And uh, let me tell you, the one guy who is responsible for that is Charlie Lindgren. Mm. Yep. You know, he's got... He, he's a 9.28 goalie. He is currently seventh in the league in goals saved above expected. Like the team stinks, right? Yep. And Charlie Lindgren's like, that's not a problem for me, dog. I'm I'm happy to uh, to pick up the ball and run with it here. And when he's not uh, in the lineup, they're getting like 8.90 goaltending. <laughs> and so, you know, if, if you're looking if you're looking at a guy where like again at the end of the year, are we going to be saying like? Yeah, the Capitals got into the playoffs and it's all because of Charlie Lindgren. I don't think so, right? I think they're not going to make the playoffs. And he, he's been kind of, uh, I don't know, like he's been kind of even for most of the season, right? Like he's been just routinely good almost every game he plays. Um, and I just want to shout him out because he's, he's a fun goalie and uh, he's the only reason we're even remotely talking about the Caps as a playoff team. So. No, he is really good for a while now. I guess I don't want to take it away from you because that is a good candidate, but 
we talk about him a lot on this podcast because every time I have Kevin Woodley on, he's ranting and raving about Charlie Lindgren. And so, uh, yeah, listeners of the show are like, that's not, I'm way more familiar with Charlie Lindgren than Robert Thomas. So, uh, so yeah, well, I guess it all depends on your perspective. The other, the other interesting thing is, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, the other goalies that, that, you know, they're like 893 or something like that when, uh, when Lindgren's not in the lineup. Well, the thing is, he's only played 15 of their 39 games. Yeah. If I have now, if I, I'm, look, I'm not a, I'm not a, a hockey coach, right? But in my head, I'm going, what if the goalie who's like 930 right now got more starts? How would that work out for us? Let, I'd be trying to find out personally, but, you know, but you don't, I, I guess you don't I don't have all the too good. You know, you don't want to respect your opponent a little bit. You don't want to rub it in by mm-hmm. just having Charlie Lindgren yeah. out there every night. Um, Standing on his damn head. Yeah. All right, RL. Uh, this was a fun one. I will, uh, I'll let you plug some stuff. What do you want to let the listeners uh, know about? Uh, EPRingside.com. Sign up for all the uh, all the info on the elite prospects and uh, that you could ever hope for, and also analysis of the National Hockey League by me and Dimitri and Jay Fresh and and more. Um, we got a lot going on over there and it's, it's getting better all the time. We just had a big company meeting about how well EP ringside it's doing. Um, so get in while the getting's good would be my advice to you. And then, uh, if you want to listen to puck soup, you know, all, all, all the podcast places will have it for you. I don't know. I love that. Well, I imagine a lot of the listeners already doing so, but, uh, recommend that my only plugs are join the discord server which we mentioned here the invite link is in the show notes check out the uh, pdo cast youtube channel uh we did a david pasternak episode this week with daryl belfry we're going to do ehlers and velarde who we talked about uh briefly in passing early next week we're going to let rl go here and we'll be back with more you're listening to the hockey pdo cast streaming on the sportsnet radio network